Go with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. Oh, yes. 2 Kings chapter 5. I want to look at verses 1 through 4, and then we'll jump down to verse number 9 and land at verse 14. 2 Kings chapter 5. And while you're looking for it or getting ready to look on the screen, let me pause for station identification. How many of you have never heard me preach before? Can I see your hand? You've never heard me preach before? Oh, my goodness. That's a lot of hands. Okay, quick disclaimer. Um, I am a hollerback preacher, okay? <laughs> Just giving you a warning up front, okay? All that means is for the next six and a half hours that we're going to share together, um, it, it would be better if you got verbally involved, okay? If anything I'm saying is resonating with you or you're feeling it, you can say amen. You can say preach that. You can say, mm, that was good. Uh, you can stand up in the middle and say, whoo, that was for me. You can stand up in the middle and go, oh, that was for you, for real. You need that. Any one of those will work. Uh, but a quiet church is a dead church. How many thankful you're not dead today? You're alive in Christ. 2 Kings chapter 5, and it says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Verse 9 so Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought, hmm. let me just pause. Have you ever gotten in trouble in life because you thought like, like, you were frustrated, you were annoyed, not by the actual circumstance that was happening, but you were annoyed by the preconceived notion and idea of what you thought was going to happen. Have you ever been jacked up just by a, I thought? <laughs> like, like, I thought you were actually going to be a faithful friend and help me. Oh, you're actually here to stab me in my back. I, th I thought you were about to ask me to marry you. You breaking up with me? Come on, have you ever been messed up <laughs> by a, surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servant went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down, thank the Lord, and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Can somebody say amen? Thank God for restoration as a result of obedience. But that verse 12 messed me up. Because initially, when he gets the prescription, the remedy, if you will, for his healing, his immediate reaction to the remedy was, bah, 
to turn. And the Bible says he went off in a rage. He went off. And when I saw went off, those words jumped off the page of the text to me. And it gave me my title. Because I want to talk to you today from this subject, the cost of going off. The cost of going off. Now, let me say this. If you have never gone off, I don't have a message for you today, okay? I don't. If you're just one of those people that are just happy all the time, you floated in here today, and you had communion and manna for breakfast, and you never lose your cool, you never lose your temper, you're always calm, collected, and poised, and happy, and you constantly turn in cheeks when people slap them. I don't have a message for you. In fact, you should preach. But if you're one of those people that has ever had somebody say something so sideways to you that all of a sudden your heart started to palpitate and your nose started to flare and your right eye started to twitch. If, if you've ever had somebody driving so crazy in front of you that you had to pull up next to them at the stoplight just to look at them in the face. If you have ever replied to an email or a text message or somebody in your comment section with all capital letters, I got a word for you today. I'm going to talk to you about the cost of going off. Look at your neighbor for the last time and say, I know this for you. I know this is for you. Let's pray before we go into this word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. God, I know the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word shall stand forever. God, when we leave this house, let us not say we were entertained. But God, let us say we were drastically changed by the transformational truth of your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Yeah. Come on, everybody said. Yeah. The cost of going off. Are there any parents in the house today? Can I see your hand, all the parents? In fact, all the parents, can you just make some noise real quick? All the parents. Okay. Okay. Are there any single people in the house today? Single people? Oh, Lord. Single people make some noise real quick. <laughs> you see how the single people started shouting before I even told them to shout? <laughs> see, the reason y'all have all that energy is because you don't have kids. Parents would have shouted at the same decibel, but we are tired in the fight of our life. That's why I had you lift up your hand first, because I need to see where my support group is today. Oh, I'm telling you, there is absolutely nothing, I believe, as challenging, as daunting, yes, rewarding, but challenging as parenting. Oh, there is nothing like trying to raise little humans in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, especially. In fact, I signed up for the Growing Kids God's Way class. I will drive from Dallas here to Tulsa because the fight is that real. That we just planted a church and people will ask me all the time, how's the church going? Are you stressed? Church planting is hard. I'm like, church planting is a breeze. I mean, come on, we have scripture for this. God said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. I don't know if a pastor is watching this right now. Chillax, God is going to build his church. Woo! He didn't say nothing about building kids, though. You got to do that. That's why I often say, if you want a prayer life, get some kids. Just get some kids. If you want to be an intercessor, have more than one, because this... 
This is no joke. I mean, you can even search the Word of God. Good luck. Look at the life of Jesus. We get information from birth to 12, but as soon as he turns a teenager, you don't hear nothing about his teenage life. You catch him full grown at 30, as if the Bible is trying to tell you, if you got teenagers, you are on your own. Just figure it out. <laughs> figure it out. It is a challenge. It is a task. And so you got to pray. You got to call on the name of the Lord. And uh, I think you ought to look at resources. You ought to read and look at resources. In fact, I recently came up upon a book my wife and I read. It's called Parenting from the Inside Out. Parenting from the Inside Out. And if you want to read the book, I'll give you the book, the Wikipedia version. It simply says that parenthood can and will trigger the unprocessed emotions of your childhood. <laughs> that parenthood can and will trigger the unprocessed emotions of your childhood. So what the book postulates is that if you could just heal the child that is in every parent, then that parent would produce healthier children. And so this is the book that I'm reading before I drop my son to his first day of kindergarten. And I thought it was intriguing that the day I'm dropping him off and I'm reading this book, his teacher is showing me the classroom. And in the corner of the classroom, I saw something that I had never seen in a classroom before. It was this little whiteboard with all these different colors on it. I said, what is that? She said, that's the calm down corner. I said, excuse me? She said, uh, that's the calm down corner. She said, they're young, they're immature, their brains are still developing. It is our job to help them process their emotions. She says, so sometimes when they're having a moment, I let them go to the calm down corner, and they can pick out whatever color or colors they want, and they can take it out on the board. And as soon as she finished saying that, I said, I need a calm down <laughs> corner. Where did you get that? Hobby Lobby? I'm for real. I need a calm down corner. And don't laugh at me. You need a calm down corner. I saw somebody on the parking lot. You need a calm down corner. Matter of fact, I think our world right now needs a calm down corner. Our nation needs a calm down corner. And I want to ask you a question that perhaps no preacher's ever asked you in church, and that is, how's your anger? How's your anger? You doing good? Because is it just me, or does it seem like now more than ever, everybody seems to be on edge. Everybody seems to have a short fuse. It seems like everybody, everywhere is so quick to go off. If you don't believe me, I found this article as I was preparing for this message, and I found the title interesting. It says, adults are throwing tantrums in restaurants, planes, and at home. Blame the pandemic. That in this season, people that work in the service industry are telling you now more than ever they've had to call for extra security at airports, in restaurants, because people seem to be on edge. Everybody is going off. And I want to talk about anger today. I want to talk about anger. Now, here's what I love about this message. This message is for everybody. Oh, yeah. No, you cannot dismiss this message today. In the room or watching online, this is not one of those messages where you can go, oh, I know three people that really need this right here. No, everybody needs this message today because how many of you know anger is a universal emotion? It is universal. Everybody deals with anger. When it comes to anger, the question is not if you're going to get angry. It is when you get angry. So don't try to brush off this message today. As a matter of fact, here's how I really know you need this message. You came in the world angry. Yeah, so did I. Not a single baby in the history of the world came in very calm, talking about, I'm not going to yell. I just would like some milk today. No, you came in the world. Ah! 
going off. What do we do? This is an emotion that you're going to have to deal with. So we may as well start thinking, especially from a biblical perspective, what do we do with anger? In fact, I want to ask you today, what do you do when you get angry? Because I know you do. What do you do? I want to know. What do you do? You yell. You kick. You scream. You use profanity. You cuss. Don't answer that out loud. Do you not cuss, but do you curse? I think there's a difference between cussing and cursing. The cussing, you can use profanity, but when you curse, oh, that might hurt more because you can curse and speak against somebody's destiny. You'll never be anything. You're just like your father. Those words can do more damage than any profanity you've ever heard. I want to know, what do you do when you get angry? You punch a hole in the wall? You explode? Do you just leave? You a stormtrooper? You just, I'm out. You stormtroopers, y'all make me laugh. Because what did y'all do with the stay-at-home stay orders? Like, what did y'all do? <laughs> you had nowhere to escape to. I want to know, what do you do when you get angry? Are you like the Incredible Hulk? Do you just go off? I'm talking about you eruptors. Oh, yeah, they're sitting in here today. Eruptors. These are the people that as soon as they get angry, you will know about it, okay? You won't need to guess because something is going to be thrown. Something is going to be said. And eruptors, y'all make me laugh because after you go off and after you explode, then you come to your senses. You're like, oh, my goodness. Did I just say that? Did I just do that? And we're looking at you like, yes, you did. <laughs> you laugh. It makes me laugh because you look so stupid because you are. You are, because hear me, there is nothing like anger that assaults your wisdom. You cannot operate out of anger and wisdom at the same time. That's why the book of Proverbs is replete with scriptures specifically speaking to how you handle anger. I love what Proverbs chapter 14 verse 29 says, people with understanding control their anger and a hot temper shows great foolishness. Ooh, you eruptors, you are losing your wisdom. By exploding. Now, I laugh at you eruptors because I am not an eruptor. Oh, no. I am what you call a stuffer. And stuffers, we are different than you eruptors because stuffers, we don't yell, we don't kick, we don't scream, we don't throw things. We very calmly will look at you and you will ask us, are you mad? And we'll say, no, I'm not mad. I'm fine. It's okay. Things happen. And all while we're saying we're fine, we are ruminating and rehearsing every single thing that you did. We cannot believe you had the nerve, the audacity to do what you did. And all while we're looking at you saying, I'm fine. We are pushing it down into the basement of our soul until it becomes a cantankerous cesspool of bitterness. And all while you're asking, we're smiling, talking about, I'm fine. Ooh, and stuffers may be worse than eruptors because stuffers become eruptors. Stuffers will stuff it down so deep into your soul, you don't even realize it's affecting your health. Oh, yes, the medical community will tell you that anger, more than any other emotion, more than grief, will do damage to your body. Anger will mess up your blood pressure. Anger will give you a heart attack. Anger will ruin your nervous system. Anger will age you. Oh, yeah, do the research. You forget all that exfoliating. Just keep getting angry. <laughs> and there's a danger in erupting, and there's a danger 
and stuffing. So what am I supposed to do? I can't erupt, and I can't stuff, but anger's coming anyway. What am I supposed to do with that anger? I'm so glad you asked. Anger, hear me, must be put in its proper place. Hear me today. There is a place for anger. In fact, anger is like having a toddler in the car. How many know you don't want that toddler behind the steering wheel? Come on, eruptors. Don't put the toddler behind the steering wheel. Damage will occur. By the same token, you don't want that toddler in the trunk. Stuffers. <laughs> Where do you want that toddler? In a car seat with the seat belt on. And you want to periodically check in your rearview mirror to make sure that that toddler is in its proper place. Hear me, anger has a place. And God says, you've got to learn to put anger in its proper place today. Is this helping anybody? I'm going somewhere with this. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, 26. Look at the brilliance of the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus in one verse. Look at the wisdom and brevity. He actually gives the biblical worldview for anger. Look at what he says. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Look at what he says. Paul says, be angry. In other words, there is nothing wrong with anger in and of itself. So the biblical worldview of anger is not to get rid of it. So all of you that are trying to pray away your anger, it ain't going to happen. Anger is okay. There's nothing wrong with anger, but Paul's saying, do not let that anger lead you to sin. But anger in and of itself is not sinful. As a matter of fact, anger is awesome because anger will give you insight as to what you love. If you don't ever get angry, you don't have a pulse. You're apathetic. You don't care about anything. But if you want to know what you really love, Look at what you get angry about. You will always get angry about the thing that threatens what you love. No wonder the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Put him first. Put him at the throne of your heart because then everything else will be in place. But when you love anything else, ooh, and something threatens what you love, anger will be the response. If you love your image and what people think about you, anytime your image is threatened, you will erupt or stuff and go off because you love the opinions of other people. Ooh, I know it's quiet, but it's going to get rougher than that. What do you get angry about? What, what do you get? The idea is not to get rid of the anger. Anger in its proper place can actually be good. Look at Jesus, who is our model. How many know Jesus was not walking around earth just smiling at everybody? He got angry about the right things. He got angry at the religious system that refused to believe that he was the fulfillment of the thing that they were waiting for. He got angry at them with all their rules and rituals that they put before action and actual real encounter with God. That's why he called them, you brood of vipers. I mean, he just went off on them, called them empty graves. He was always getting angry at people who were stopping others from having an encounter with him. Come on, you remember that time he had a temple tantrum and he just cleared out the temple and he pulled out a whip and started driving people out the temple and flipping over tables because they were making it difficult for people to come into the temple. You know why? Because he loves humanity. He gave his life for humanity and they were threatening humanity having an encounter with him. So he said, I got to drive you out. Oh, there ought to be some things that make you angry. So angry that you actually make a difference about it. 
Emotions are horrible dictators, but they're great indicators. And sometimes you got to look at your emotion to see, is it possible that the reason I have this reaction to this is because God has actually put me on the earth to be an answer to this problem? There ought to be some things that the church looks at and gets angry. And not just angry for anger's sake, but angry to make a difference, to stop poverty, injustice, angry about it because God's caused you to be a light in the midst of darkness. When anger is out of place, anger will assassinate your destiny. Look at Moses. He allowed the frustration of the people to make him disobey what God told him to do. And because he obeyed, disobeyed, and got angry, he missed out on the promised land. He saw it, but never went into it. And I'm just curious, could it be possible that the reason some of us aren't stepping into the promise of God for our life is because our anger has stopped us. What do you do when you get angry? Better question, what makes you angry? People that drive too slow? Your bracket getting messed up? Cowboys losing? What makes you angry? People that chew too loud? What makes you angry? I'm just throwing stuff out there. What makes you angry? Do you get angry when you get a brand new outfit and you go to the bathroom in the middle, middle of dinner and you just check to make sure there's nothing in your teeth and you lean over the counter only to step away and so you got a brand new little line across? What makes you angry? <laughs> you get angry when you got a laptop and come on, you're trying to put the USB in and it's only two ways for this thing to go, but it takes you 73 tries to get this thing and now you mad at Steve Jobs and all of Apple for that. What, what do you get angry about? <laughs> no, I want to know. What, what, what do you get angry about? See, I, I'm being funny because how many of you know what makes you go off is not what makes me go off. What makes her go off is not what makes her go off. Anger is ubiquitous, but it is unique as well. So I like to put that out there because many of us think, well, I wouldn't have gone off if they wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have thrown the stapler if she wouldn't have said that in the cubicle. <laughs> well, they said it to somebody else. They didn't throw the stapler. <gasps> so you see, anger, what makes you go off is not what makes me go off. Anger is ubiquitous, but it is unique. And many of us like to think that we are victims to our emotions and will blame everybody else. I say, well, I wouldn't have done it if they would have done that. But we fail to realize anger is a secondary emotion. It's, it's never about what you think it's about. So when you're dealing with anger, don't look at anger. You always got to look under anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's rarely about the thing that you're going off about. This, first of all, ought to make you have grace for people. When everybody, somebody's just going off on you, you ought to just pause every once in a while and go, you know what, this is not about me. This is about something else because anger is a secondary emotion. Don't look at it, look under it. That's what I want to do with our text today because this text, y'all, this text blew my mind. Because I'm trying to figure out how this guy, Naaman, who is brilliant, who has military acumen, who is a soldier, has a skin disease called leprosy. This is a skin disease so devastating that it starts off as a small spot on your skin, but before you know it, it starts to spread all over your body. It is a degenerative disease for which there was no cure. Your body would literally fall apart once you had it. You would lose limbs. This disease had social ramifications because it was so contagious. As soon as you had it at that time, you had to isolate yourself from your family. You had to completely quarantine, if you will. You had a whole community of other people you had to be with that had leprosy. Anytime somebody came in close proximity to you, you had to put your hand out and yell, unclean, I'm unclean, back away. Can you imagine the torment of the isolation of this disease? 
this is what Naaman has. There is no cure. All of a sudden, he is given the prescription for his cure. Go to the Jordan River, dip seven times. How hard is that? Splish, splash, take a bath. Seven times. <laughs> That's the prescription Elisha gives. And his emotional reaction to the remedy is, huh, to go off in a rage? Because somebody told you to go dip seven times? I mean, come on, contextualize it. Can you imagine having a cough or a cold and going to the doctor's office? He says, oh, that's not a big deal. Hey, just go to the nurse's station. She's going to give you a prescription two times a day. And you storm up, oh, I cannot believe this office. Two times a day? <laughs> what is going on, Naaman? <laughs> Why are you, if it was me and you, t I, I couldn't have got to the river fast enough. I would have said, hallelujah. I would have been all the way down in that water doing the Holy Ghost two-step in it. You want seven? I'll dip 70. Just heal me. <laughs> what is this dude getting angry about? Don't look at anger. Look under it. And I think the blues clue for Naaman's anger <laughs> is in the first verse of Scripture we read. Look at it. Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man. Highly regarded. Oh, now I get it. Naaman had the thing that our culture seems to be obsessed with today. Naaman had status. Naaman. <laughs> I love it. Naaman. Naaman was not a regular dude. Naaman was the dude. Naaman is the one who had all the victories. Naaman has a blue check on the gram. He's got all kinds of followers. Naaman's on the cover of every Wheaties box with his sword. Naaman is the man that every other man wants to be and every woman wants. Naaman is that dude. He had status. And I think there was something about his status that made him wonder, how could I be going through this? I see this in our culture today because there's an obsession with status. Have you noticed? Everybody wants to be somebody. Everybody wants to be the somebody. And if they can't be the somebody, then they want to beat the somebody. And if they can't beat the somebody, they want to at least be connected to the somebody. And if they can't be the somebody or beat the somebody or be connected to the somebody, then they feel like a nobody. This is the climate of our culture today. Obsession with status. If I just got that house, if I just got that watch, if I just got that outfit, if I just got that Tesla, oh, I would be somebody. Isn't it funny how our obsession with status will drive us to things, constantly climbing, thinking if I just got to the top, I would feel good, only to find out there are so many people who have gotten to the top, and no wonder they want to jump off. Because they thought when they got to the top, it would fulfill a void. And it never fulfilled the God-sized void in your heart. Only God can fulfill the thing that your soul has been longing for. Only Jesus can fill that emptiness in your soul. You can keep trying, but status will not bring you that satisfaction. But yet we don't believe it. We say it. We shout about it. But internally, we think status will bring healing. Ask a kid today. Do the test. Ask a kid today. It used to be a time you asked a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? He'd say, fireman. You know, school teacher. Ask a kid today. They'll say, uh, I don't care, just famous. You see my TikTok page? <laughs> they don't care. 
they just want to be known. As long as I get likes, as long as I get views, I will do anything for views. I will stack crates up to the sky. I'll do whatever it takes as long as I'm known. Notoriety is the new narcotic. We just want somebody to give us status. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He says, we don't even take pride in the possession or position in and of itself. We take pride in having more of it than somebody else. So we're constantly playing the comparison game, trying to be known, thinking fame will heal our soul. Another theologian, Sean Carter, said that fame is the worst drug known to man. It's stronger than heroin. And you can look at the mirror like, there I am, but still not see what you've become. So we're constantly pushing the buttons on the elevator, thinking, if I just got to that level, if I just got to that level, oh, I'm almost to the penthouse suite. If I finally got up there, my soul will be healed. But Naaman was up there, and Naaman realized the thing that I want you to realize, and that is, number one, status doesn't stop suffering. Status does not stop suffering. So give up on the rat race right now. I'm letting you know status will not heal suffering. It will not heal pain. And Naaman found that out. This is why he's mad. He doesn't think somebody of his status is supposed to have leprosy. That's why he's enraged because he's trying to figure out how can I be so successful on the battlefield but now my skin has this disorder. Isn't it funny how you can be successful in one arena and horrible in another arena? You can be so good in the boardroom and everybody respect you but nobody in your own house respect you. <laughs> Status doesn't stop suffering. Naaman found that out one day. I can see it. He got back from the battlefield. Who knows how many people he defeated. He's in the bathroom. You know how you do after a victory. It's just you in the bathroom. And you look at her in the mirror. Who's the man? Name man. Who's the man? Name man. <laughs> you know how you do when it's just you. <laughs> and as he's looking in the mirror, perhaps before he goes into his marbled steam shower, he notices a spot on his skin. As soon as he sees it, he knows what it is. And he's trying to figure out, how in the world can I have this spot? Can I let you know, everybody has a spot. Everybody has something. In the Bible, leprosy is a metaphor for sin. Sin is the disease that has stained all of humanity. I don't care who you are, where you grew up at, what, who you voted for. I don't care who you, how long you've been in church. Sin is what has stained humanity's soul. It affects all of us. It causes everything to fall apart. I don't care who you are. Just trying to figure out how do I have this. I imagine this soldier, this warrior, falls to the ground in the fetal position. Tears coming down his face trying to figure out how do I have leprosy. I can see his wife coming into the bathroom, perhaps wondering, why is he on the floor crying? I've never seen my husband cry like this. And as she goes to touch him, she sees the spot. And she knows exactly why he's crying. I can see her saying, it's all right, sweetheart. We, we don't have to tell anybody. It's not gotten bad yet. Just, just cover it up. Just keep putting on your armor. Because isn't that what we do? Whenever we realize we have issues, our number one go-to, it started from our parents, Adam and Eve, is to cover up. Just don't let anybody know I have the issue. Just conceal it. Keep pretending. Keep smiling. Don't let anybody know what's really going on underneath. He said, that's all right, baby. We'll just we'll keep it in the house. But I think the walls in Naaman's house were thin. 
because the maid from Israel, the servant girl, who they brought in not to give her opinion, but to mop the floors. And one day, this servant girl is mopping the floors. And maybe she sees Naaman's wife crying. She says, ma'am, I know this is none of my business. You brought me here to mop. But I'm telling you, if Naaman would go see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would be healed. I love this girl. I don't know her name. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask. Because this servant girl from Israel, understand, she initiated the whole miracle. She started the whole miracle. This servant girl from Israel, of course she was from Israel. She was a servant girl from Israel, but don't let her position fool you. The servant girl from Israel knew the God of Israel. She knew the God who could open up red seas. She knew a God that could open up deaf ears and heal blinded eyes. She knew a God that specializes in situations for which there is no cure and it seems impossible. And when your back is up against the wall and everything is stacked against you, that he can step in and show you that there is nothing that is impossible for our God. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask, think, or imagine. Is there anything too hard for our God? I just want to pause right there and thank God that the same God that did miracles in Israel is the same God that will do miracles in Tulsa, in Dallas, in L.A., in New York. He still has power. He still can get the glory out of a situation that seems impossible. Oh, I need at least 15 people to praise God for just one of the miracles that he's done in your life. Anybody can testify and say, I got miracles on miracles on miracles. Oh, somebody, just the reason you're still here and you're still standing is a miracle. You know the enemy tried to kill you in 2020. You didn't even think you would see this year. But somebody give him a praise. If you're thankful, you're still here. He's not done. He can still do miracles. I don't care what the doctor said. He still does miracles. She knew about the God of Israel. This servant girl. Oh, thank God for the maid. Thank God for the girl from Israel who wasn't brought in to testify. She was brought in to mop. But she opened up her mouth and said, let me tell you about my God. She shows me Number two, that servants always start the miracles. Servants always start the miracles. The reason some of y'all don't see miracles is because you refuse to serve. <laughs> oh, you want me to mop? We're always looking for miracles in the wrong places. We think miracles are up there. But I'm telling you, miracles are always low. Servants always start the miracles. Well, give us scripture for that. Look at our Savior. 
Jesus could not redeem us from the lofty pinnacle of heaven. He had to come down from heaven to earth, put on human skin. He came down through 42 generations and wrapped himself in a womb that he created and walked among us, the son of the living God, put on human skin. Who is this God that would come down to the level of his creation? Who is this God that even as a teenager would sit and would ask questions in the temple even though he was the word made flesh while he was in the temple. Who else? But our Savior, our Savior, he took the position of a servant. He's the son of the living God, and he puts on a towel and washes the nasty, crusty feet. You know Peter had bad feet. He washed the feet of his disciples because servants always start the miracles. You want to see miracles? Start serving. Some of you, this is for free, some of you would lose some of your anger right there because your anger is connected to your narcissism. I didn't say that in any other services, so I know that was somebody. Of course you're always angry. All you think about is you. But if you ever got your mind off of yourself and started serving somebody else, you would experience the joy of the miracle. We saw it this week. Did you hear the testimony that was given? Almost 500 people gave their life to Jesus because some young people said, whoo, I can serve. I know the rest of my friends are on the lake at spring break, but I'm going to go to Belize and I'm going to serve. No wonder they saw miracles because servants start the miracles. And this girl who was brought in the mop initiates and instigates Naaman's miracle. Here's how I know Naaman's leprosy was getting bad. Here's how I know. He listened to her. <laughs> oh, that's how I know the leprosy was bad. See, there is, there's a certain level of issues in your life that can let you have pride. And you're like, please, who are you to speak to me? But how many of your life will hit you with some stuff that is so bad that it will humble you? And people that you normally would have rejected and dismissed, you'll say, now, what'd you say? What'd you say? Oh, I know his leprosy was bad because he's listening to the maid. And I want to tell somebody, you better humble yourself. Be careful who you dismiss. God has a way of putting your miracle in the mouth of somebody that you would look past, that you would look over that you would deny. Thank God for this servant girl speaking up. And thank God for Naaman losing his pride to actually listen. I know his leprosy was bad because he said, oh, now where you say the prophet was? Excuse me, what's the address? And it's funny, I skipped it in our reading. He actually doesn't even go to Elisha first. Don't forget, he has prestige. He actually first goes to the king of Israel with a certified letter and all kinds of gold and silver and gifts. He goes to the king of Israel first. You can see him walking in. Oh, hello, I'm Naaman. I'm sure you all know. Here's my official letter. Just let me know that I need healing from leprosy. He goes to the king of Israel first, and the king of Israel has a panic attack. I didn't read it. I'm giving it to you now. He starts breaking down. Who, who am I? Am I God? I can't heal leprosy. He starts freaking out. It's funny to me, especially when you juxtapose the king of Israel and Elisha, the prophet of Israel. See, because Elisha had a different response to Naaman's issue. I find it intriguing that the king of Israel had the position, but Elisha had the power. <laughs> the king of Israel had the title, 
but Elisha had the authority. See, our culture has it messed up. We keep seeking after titles and after position. But God said, that's not where the power is. If you'll actually seek me for the power and you'll seek me for the authority, I'll make sure you get the position. I'll make sure you get the title. Never fight for a title or a position. Seek the presence of God and ask for the power and the authority, and God will make sure you're in the right place. Oh, y'all recording this? I'm going to watch it later. This is blessing me. So what was an obstacle to the king of Israel is an opportunity for Elisha. He says, calm down. Send him to my house. So here goes Naaman. Can you see him? Leading the king of Israel to go to Elisha's house. Can you see him? Naaman. Gold armor on. Probably looked like the rock. <laughs> Got a Bentley chariot. Six horsepower. Just trying to keep some of y'all awake. Six horsepower. Here he goes, long robe, going to Elisha's house. Naaman going to Elisha's house. You know Elisha lived in the hood. <laughs> he had to. He's a prophet. He don't care. And here's Naaman at his Bentley chariot going to Elisha's neighborhood. I can see everybody in town going, what in the world is Naaman doing in this zip code? Sometimes when you're desperate, it'll take you places you wouldn't normally go. Gets all the way to Elisha's house. And I can see Elisha's servant because he saw him first. He goes, oh, oh my goodness. Elisha, you ain't going to believe it. Naaman is outside. Oh, my goodness. He looks just as good as a person as he does in a Wheaties box. I cannot believe it. Oh, I'm telling you, his ser Elisha's servant is fangirling. He is going crazy. I can see him go, oh, my goodness. I cannot believe it. He's in a Bentley chariot. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe it. And Elisha's like, boy, calm down. You're impressed with all that stuff you see on the surface. You don't even know under all that armor, he's falling apart. Under all that armor is a disease that he doesn't know how to get the cure. That's why he's here. That's why I want to encourage somebody, stop comparing your life to people that you see on the screen and on social media. People are not living like they posted. But we believe the hype, don't we? It's like, oh, I want that. I've never seen a couple. I've never seen a couple that ended up not making it. And you go to their Instagram page, and there's, page, there's pictures of them going, ah. <laughs> there's no video reels of them fighting or arguing. All the pictures are them going, <laughs> date night. <laughs> There's all the pictures. But yeah, we steady believe in the hype sometimes. Not everything you see. Is the reality. So all of a sudden, he's going, oh my goodness. Elisha's like, calm down. He's like, I want you to go out there and tell him, if he'll wash in the Jordan seven times, he'll be healed. I can see Elijah's servant going, ah, you're not going to go out there and say something? Elijah's like, no. You're my servant, right? Yeah, well, go tell him. If he washes seven times, he'll be cleansed. You see a servant like, but does Naaman, Elisha, you a prophet, don't you think? You should go out there. He's like, look, I'm watching Law and Order, and I ain't going to say it again. Go tell him. <laughs> this is Madhu International Version. <laughs> go tell him to wash seven times in the Jordan. He'll be cleansed. He's like, all right. He starts going. And Elisha's like, oh, and don't ask for a picture either. The servant's like, I wasn't. Puts his phone back in his pocket. <laughs> Goes all the way up to Naaman. Hey. Can you see Naaman still on his high horse? 
Hello? Hi. Wow. Beautiful chariot. Um, hey, man. Um, Elisha told me to tell you, if you go wash seven times, you'll be cleansed. And I can feel Naaman going, excuse me? Isn't he going to come speak to me? Does he know who I am? Oh, obviously not. Look, he told me <laughs> to tell you, don't kill the messenger, man. He just said, go watch seven times. He's like, what is he doing? Um, he's, Naaman looks in, he's watching Law and Order. Yeah, that's what he does before he prays. Um, he just said, <laughs> go watch seven times. Naaman goes off in a rage. Do you feel what's happening? Naaman can already feel the isolation that is to come from his leprosy. Naaman turns and goes off for the same reason you and I turn and go off. We read it earlier. Because he thought. He thought Elisha, the great prophet, was going to come out. Oh, how are you, Naaman? Beautiful chariot. Where's the leprosy? <laughs> go your way. But it didn't happen like that. Elisha didn't even give him the respect of coming to see him. He sent his servant. And now he is in that position that somebody listening to this message is in, where your experience is not lining up with your expectation. And the gap experience and your expectation can often cause rage. Sometimes it's not rage at first. Sometimes it's just pain and disappointment that turns into rage and anger. And I felt like I was supposed to preach this message because somebody is about to miss out on their miracle because life has not turned out the way you thought. Somebody's about to miss out on what God wants to do in you in this season because you're so upset about what did not happen the way you wanted because you thought and God told me to tell you don't go off. There is a cost to going off. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest things to happen in your faith is when your experience doesn't line up with your expectation. I know it doesn't feel good, but can I tell you that is the greatest place to be because it actually solidifies your relationship with God. Because many of us think we want him to be God and Lord, but we really want him to be our genie. And we want him to perform for us. And the moment God doesn't perform the way you wanted him to perform, you get upset and you get mad. And that is religion. Religion says my performance owes me something from God God I did my part now you do your part and God says no 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 that is religion I am your Lord I am your God and I want to know will you trust me even when it didn't turn out the way you thought I know it hurts I'm not dismissing the pain but I'm saying don't go off just because it didn't turn out you're going to miss out on the greatest miracle. And Naaman goes off. He's about to walk away from the miracle that he needs so bad. But then his servant speaks up. Oh, no wonder. Servants always start the miracles. Thank God for this servant who says something to Naaman to get his attention. He says, Naaman, if he would have asked you to do something great, 
Wouldn't you have done it? How come you can't do this simple thing? In essence, do you know what the servant is saying? He's saying, my last point as the worship team comes. He's saying, don't you understand that simple obedience is strength? Simple obedience is strength. Simple obedience. Isn't it crazy? Isn't it interesting that this great warrior who could fight, who could lead armies, is having a problem to go to a river and do splish splash, take a bath. You realize that if Elisha had said, I need you to bring me back the heads of 50 men, he would have done it. If he would have told him to scale a mountain, find a lion and cut off his head and bring it back, he would have said, I got you. Because isn't that what we want to do? We always want to have our hand in it. We want to take the credit for something. But can I tell you, the gift of salvation is simply that. It is a gift. The gift of grace is simply that. It is a gift. You cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. It is a free gift from God. You cannot contribute to your salvation. The only thing you can contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. This was God's work. This was God's doing. And you just have to receive it. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. And so many of us, even now, are trying to earn it. Do you know how many people I've talked to who reject faith? Not because it's complicated, because it sounds too simple. What, what, what do you mean? I just, I just confess him as my Lord and Savior and ask for forgiveness and, and that's it? Yeah? No. No, I, I got to do some. Let me give more in the offering. Let me have perfect church attendance. I'll come to all the services. Let me, let, let me, let me memorize the book of Leviticus. <laughs> Just give me something so I can feel like I'm adding it. You can. It's a gift. I know it sounds simple, but that's where your strength is. Your strength is in your ability to simply obey what God said. I wonder how many of you are missing out on what God has for you. I should keep trying to do the big thing when God's asking you to do the simple thing. The simple thing like forgiving that person that you've been harboring bitterness toward. The simple thing is often the hardest thing. Thank God for this servant who turned Naaman back around. That's what I'm praying this message just today. Somebody that's gone off Somebody that's given up because life has not turned out the way you thought. I'm praying I can be the voice of that servant who says, no. Turn back. And Naaman turns back to the Jordan River, gets off of his high horse, and has to take off all of that armor to get in the Jordan River. Can you see him? sheepishly taking off his armor. The one who won all the victories. Sometimes the more victories you have, the harder it is for you to be vulnerable. Sometimes the greater the strength you have, it's more difficult for you to show your weakness. And I can see him taking off his armor. I can see maybe the people by the Jordan whispering, going, oh my goodness. I didn't know his leprosy had gotten that bad. And I 
scripture, Naaman was fighting against it the whole time. He didn't even want to go to the Jordan River. And some of you, even right now, you're fighting against doing what God's called you to do because you are more committed to the opinions of other people than you are to being obedient to God. But God said, get rid of all of that pride and what other people think. Don't you want your healing more? Your life's already falling apart. Who cares what they think? He takes off the armor because God can only heal what you expose. If you're trying to cover it, God can't cover you. But if you will let down all your guards and all your armors and say, God, here I am. It's ugly. It's broken. It's peeling. It's falling apart. But I'm coming to you. I'm bringing this marriage to you. I'm bringing my life to you. I can't fix it. He takes off the armor. He has to dip so God won't even allow him to stay in the shallow. He's got to go deep. He dips the first time. He does what anybody would have done. He checked. Because isn't that what we do? Because we're so used to, I do this, God, you give me that. So we check. Oh, okay, Lord. All right. Hey, uh, I don't know if you noticed. Been to church uh, three weeks in a row. They're giving a raise. Keep checking. We got to get that religion out of our heart. It says, if I perform, God, you perform. It's a gift. He dips the second time, still no change. He dips the third time, still no change. He dips the fourth time, still no change. I think by the fourth time, Naaman was ready to walk away, just like somebody in this room or watching online, you're ready to give up because you hadn't got the results, and God wants to know, will you still trust me even when you don't see the results? Will you still follow me, or do I have to be Amazon Prime and perform and 24 hours are left? God wants to know, do you just want the miracle, or do you want the miracle worker? Are you committed to being obedient fully? He dipped the fifth time. There was still no change. He dipped the sixth time. There was still no change. I'm sure he wanted to walk away, but there is a cost to going off. And Elisha didn't say dip six times. He said dip seven times. And God wants a righteous remnant who says, God, I don't care what it looks like. I'm going to obey you fully because your word is true and everything you said, it will come to pass. And thank God that Naaman let down his guard and his pride and he dipped the seventh time because when he came up out of that water the seventh time the Bible says that his skin was restored his skin was healed I want to thank God that the same God who did it then can do it today if you will obey he can heal the thing that everybody said was impossible for it to be healed I need somebody to get up on your feet and give them some praise if you know that our God still restores, our God still redeems, our God still revives, our God still regenerates, our God still takes broken things and makes them whole. Hallelujah! There is nothing impossible for our God. Thank God, Naaman lost his pride. Thank God he didn't go off in a rage. Thank God he was obedient. And his skin was restored. Look at Naaman. From leprosy to looking like he could do a baby Gerber commercial. His skin restored. I'm preaching this message today because somebody 
is about to go off. I'm preaching to somebody today who you don't even realize what your anger is doing to your relationships. I'm talking to erupters. I'm talking to stuffers. God says, I want to heal that anger so you can put it in its proper place. Just real soft. I'm talking to somebody, hear me, who thinks you have a right to go off. You have a right to be angry because of what somebody did to you. And hear me, I am by no means trying to excuse what somebody did. But I am telling you, the rage is destroying you. The anger is destroying you. The unforgiveness is destroying you, not them. Can I give you something I didn't give the other services? Who started the miracle? Servant girl from Israel. Don't forget that Naaman doesn't serve the God of Israel. Naaman is a pagan. Naaman is responsible for this girl being a servant in the first place. Don't forget what the text says. It says that the armies of Aram had raided Israel. That's why she's a servant in Naaman's house. Scholars and theologians will tell you that it is highly likely and most probable that this girl's parents and family was killed as a result of the raid that Naaman issued. She is stuck in his house serving and he's responsible for it. And yet she offers up the remedy and the healing. You understand because of what was done to this girl, she had every right to laugh in the face of Naaman and his wife and say, that's what you get. You stripped me from my home. You killed my family. Thanks be unto God that you have leprosy. That's what you deserve. She had every right to do that. But she didn't. She is the one that initiated the miracle for his healing. offers the remedy of healing to their enemy. I don't know anybody that does that except for a savior who stretched his arms on a cross, who did no sin, but yet on that cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And come on, if you have called on the name of Jesus and you're a believer and he didn't hold any sin against you, what right do you have as a forgiven one to hold any bitterness, to hold anything towards somebody else? Oh God, I feel your presence. He's saying if you let it go, There is a cost to going off. Thank God this girl offered the remedy of healing. Can you imagine how many soldiers heard about the God of Israel? Because this pagan commander named Naaman was able to testify to other pagans 
and say, let me tell you, when I had a skin disease and there was only one God that was able to bring the healing and he is the God of Israel. He is Yahweh. He healed the thing nobody else could heal. Can you imagine the testimony? Anybody can repay good for good. Anybody can repay evil for evil. Anybody be good to somebody that was good to them but it is only the Christ like that can look at somebody that harmed you, that wounded you that did you so wrong and say Father forgive them for they know not what they did I'm going to ask every head be bowed every eye be closed, I sense the Holy Spirit doing something so deep today if you're in here today and you'd be so honest to say Pastor Robert I know this word is for me. And today I'm asking God to heal me of the rage and the bitterness. Today I need to put anger in its proper place. I've been going off some you don't even realize. I'm talking to everybody, but I just feel so impressed to talk to some men of God in here today. And you don't even realize what your rage is doing to your family, what it's doing to your kids is doing to your wife. People around you have learned just to tolerate it and say that's just the way he is and that is not just the way you are. Allow God to get to the root of that anger. Your family is at stake. Your legacy is at stake. God wants you to operate out of peace. You are the one who sets the tone, the climate when you walk in that home, in that business. Allow God to heal that anger heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you be so honest, say, Pastor Robert, this is for me, and today I need that healing. Would you lift up your hand high enough, long enough to where I could see it today? Thank you. The healer is in the house today. Thank you. Yes, Jesus, thank you. Hands are going up all over this place today. Thank you, God. That's what God needs. If he can have honesty, you can't keep that armor on. You got to take that armor off and say, God, I need you. He responds to the broken. A broken and a contrite spirit he will not deny. Anybody else lift it up? Put it you're here today or you've been watching online, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity today to come home. Maybe anger has made you say, I'm tired of the church and you hate preachers and you've given every excuse, but God is speaking to your heart right now saying, I want relationship with you. This is about me and you. He's calling you home today. That's you. Would you just lift up your hand high enough and long enough to where I can see it saying, God, I'm giving you my life today. Yes, yes. I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Here's what I'm going to ask. The worship team's about to lead us in a song. But as they do, I'm going to ask you to do something so bold and so brave. Hear me. I think there is something powerful about leaving where you are and stepping out to a new place. Some of you need to respond to this message. Well, what are people going to think about me? What if Naaman wouldn't have gone down to that Jordan River because he cared what other people th thought about him? Come, there's something in this text that lets you know you got to get rid of caring about what other people think and be more committed to your healing, more committed to your miracle and your breakthrough. Come on, y'all are already coming. If you lifted up your hand or you should have, I want you right now to come find a place at this altar. I don't care how far you got to walk, how many steps you got to come down. Come on, this is between you and a great God who loves you so much. Come on, come on, let God heal today of that rage, of that anger. 
The healer is in the house today. Come on, as the worship team sings and lead us, would you come? Would you come? Father, our eyes are set on you today. Come Can you give God some praise today? Come on.
Come on, you can do better than that. Would you give Jesus praise? I want to say two things just before Daniel comes. I, I want to encourage somebody, whether you responded or whether you're still in your seat, that's fine. I want to give you this encouragement. Hear me to forgive the person that hurt you. To forget. Again, forgiveness doesn't mean you got to be in a relationship with them. We got to go to coffee every day. But whoever that is, maybe even before you leave this place today, something powerful about speaking it out. Maybe you just need to say their name and say, God, today I forgive and say their name. Say, God, I'm giving that to you. I also sense strongly today that God wants to completely deliver and set somebody free from alcoholism today. You've been running to a bottle. Some of you is secret and nobody knows about it. You got to do whatever you can to get with somebody here at this church. I know there's teams, there's people that will help you fight for that freedom. Have somebody that will hold you accountable. God says, I want your life and your peace to come from me, not from a bottle that is not going to rule your life. You're going to be full of the Spirit of God now and not something in a bottle today. Maybe the first step is just telling somebody that you trust somebody that will help you in the process. Say, I don't want to be bound by this anymore. Today, I'm walking in my freedom. Amen. Were you blessed by the word of God today? Come on, would you give God just one more hand clap of praise? I love you so much. Thank you, Vicky.